Friends, welcome to the Gospel Today. My name is Caleb Suko, and today we're going to be talking about the coronavirus. How should a Christian respond, and how can we use it for the Gospel? Also, I'm going to be answering a question from Rajis about 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and what does it mean that you will be saved even though your works are burned in fire? So let's get going. Well, I am glad that you joined me for this podcast episode. I'm excited to record another podcast for you and just to talk with you a little bit about about some of these issues, these gospel issues. That's why I do this podcast, because we need to be thinking about our lives in light of the gospel and understanding how really everything that we do, everything that we are, is related somehow to the gospel. The gospel, friends, is so much more than just a ticket to heaven. Although without it, without belief in it, we can't get into heaven. But it is it is something that affects our lives and our way of thinking about ourselves and everything around us. So today I wanted to talk about the coronavirus. And I'm sure, unless you're living in some hole somewhere that you know about the coronavirus, you've heard about the coronavirus, you might have already done some things to prepare yourself for the coronavirus. But I'm sure that you also know that the coronavirus has created quite a worldwide panic. And I think it's worth it when these things come along, where everyone, it seems like, in the world is thinking about this, not only to think how we should individually respond to something like this, I don't know if you want to call it a pandemic, are they calling it that yet, but also how can we use this type of a thing for the gospel? And and then, of course, I'll be answering this question from Rajesh from Singapore, who asked me about 1 Corinthians chapter 3. A really interesting question. In fact, I hadn't thought about that passage for a while. But what does it mean if your works are burnt? You'll be saved, but your works as if one being plucked from the fire or works burned in the fire. So we'll be talking about those two things in this podcast. But of course, as always, want to give you a brief update of what is going on here in Ukraine with our family and ministry. Well, right now, actually, one of the things that I'll just start with a family thing, uh, since I don't, I'm not sure how much I shared about that in the last episode, but one of the things that we're dealing with right now is Mishael is finishing up his high school year in, uh, in school here in Ukraine. And so he is, he's wants to go into the Coast Guard and he's applied to the Coast Guard Academy, which is very difficult to get into. But Part of that means that he needs to do these medical exams, and it's kind of hard to get done here because everything has to be done in English. So we spent some time looking around trying to find a doctor that can do these exams in English. We thought for a minute we might have to go to Germany. Thankfully, it looks like we don't have to go to Germany. Germany is the nearest uh, military hospital. So we found a clinic here. It's actually called the American Clinic. I, we didn't even know it existed before, but it's called the American Clinic. So we're going to try it out, see if they know enough English. And actually, he's going in today. And it's pretty extensive medical, I don't know what you call it, medical exam, I guess, just to make sure that he's healthy and ready to go uh, into the Coast Guard. 
but of course you can pray for him because he you know has also had uh, he had cancer when he was one year old he's completely cancer free now for the last what 16 years i guess yeah yeah we'll be 16 coming up this year and no no signs of that returning or anything so i don't think that that'll be a problem but do pray for him as he goes through this and pray for him as he gets ready to kind of you know strike out on his own we've we've sent one child out naomi a couple of years ago and she's living in chile now in fact that's another item of, of family news naomi is going to be visiting us naomi and her family are going to be visiting us in april and I think that, that when they're here, I will definitely try and get her on the podcast and talk a little bit about their life in Chile. But we praise the God, we praise God for, for how they're doing in Chile. They're expecting their second child, our second grandchild. And so we're excited and looking forward to that. And they're active in their church there. In fact, just I think a week ago, their church had a baptism, I, I think. They baptized three people, so we praise praise God that that uh, she has been able to be involved in in church, in ministry, and um, and just how God is blessing them, and they have plans for for being more involved in ministry in the future. So pray for Naomi and Jorge. Naomi is due in the end of June, I believe. So pray for her and our other kids, uh, Noel. Anastasia, Nicholas, they are all doing well, going to school here in Odessa, right in downtown. Looking forward to to summer months and finishing up the school year. We've had just the warmest winter here, which is unusual, but we can feel that we're kind of just starting to come out of those winter months now. And, oh man, we have a lot planned and a lot in front of us in the next couple of months. But let me share with you a little bit of ministry update. I will I will let Christina talk maybe on the next episode more in detail about what she's doing at the Women's Center. But I know that, that she's been really enjoying and blessed by being able to serve there and and being able to share the gospel there. She has two clients that she's working with and just this yeah, on Monday we went and visited one of her clients in kind of all the way in the southern part of town. It's like it's almost like a different different city because we have to drive so far to get there. But that was that was a blessing. They're going through the the story of hope. But anyway, I'll let Christina kind of fill you in, share a little bit more about those things when I can get her on the podcast, hopefully next time. I think she was on the she was on the last episode, wasn't she? And as far as as my ministry goes, a number of things that I'd really appreciate your prayer about. First of all, Thanksgiving. We had earlier this month, we did no this month. We're in, our, in March already, aren't we? <laughs> last month in February we had a wonderful conference. Uh, they actually called it a conference. It was it was more than just a seminar. We had about 200 people there in the town of Eugene. And I was just so blessed by how they, the church uh, or those that were organizing the conference, they just they really went all out and did a great job, brought in people from not only their church but from around the region, the Odessa region, 
and and we, uh, along with with Pastor Roma, Pastor Yuri, myself, uh, we spoke on how to use art and how to present the gospel in an artistic way. And so I spoke specifically on God as well. No the gospel as the greatest piece of art, the greatest masterpiece. And what a blessing it was to study that material. I'll I'll have to share that with you maybe on another podcast episode. But we had so many great responses from that. And just pray that God would use that in order to help that church. And and we had there's a number of different churches that were involved with that conference to be able to think of the gospel as more than just just a couple of phrases that you might tell someone, but something that we need to put our lives, our imaginations into in order to present it in a way, in a way that connects with people and in a way that corresponds with how glorious and how beautiful and how amazing God made the gospel. I think that's one of the things that we're at fault for so often it's here is the gospel it is beautiful it is deep it is broad it is high it is amazing it is it is just breathtaking and yet when we communicate it oftentimes it sounds like the boringest thing in the world i mean how can we do that so friends we have to communicate the gospel in a way that corresponds to what it really is it is a masterpiece. And that was kind of the focus of what I was talking about there in, in Eugenie. So praise God for for that, that opportunity. Now we have another opportunity coming up this month. In fact, we are, our team, my uh, ministry team here is going to be traveling to eastern Ukraine. In fact, right to the front lines of the war to a town. It's right on the front lines, and the church there, you know what? They have not stopped preaching the gospel and and continuing to do the ministry, the work of the ministry. And praise God for that. And they've asked us to come and also help train their members in the gospel. So we have a new seminar that we've been working on, and we still need to work on a little bit before we go, but but it's, it's called Barriers to the Gospel, and we're going to be focusing on what are some of those common barriers to the gospel, whether it is uh, other other religions, other worldviews, or it's just the busyness of life that keeps people from listening to the gospel, and how to overcome those barriers as we as we share the gospel with others. So that is going to be the end of March, I believe March 27th, 28th, 29th in eastern Ukraine in Avdivka. So I really appreciate your prayers for that trip, that time and uh, and that God would use it in order to equip God's people for the gospel. Now, in in other news uh, in uh, in other news, yeah, <laughs> as far as church goes, in, in ministry, you know, we, we're continuing to do ministry and to reach out to the um, uh, foreign student population here in Odessa. So the other night we had another film and we showed a, a great film that I would suggest that you take a look at or to, to watch if you can, which is called The Finest Hours. It's a historic film about, well, it's, it's about a historic um, 
event that took place, I think in 1952, I want to say, where the Coast Guard went out and made this amazing rescue. And so we showed the film. We had uh, students from, let me think, well, from India, from Nigeria, and from Ghana. Yeah. And, And so what I do is I work up a number of questions and we discuss the film afterwards and try to bring a biblical perspective into it. So praise God for that. And just pray that, that God would, you know, we had people from different religions there, definitely not all Christians pray, pray that God would allow us to be able to use that to, to reach these people for, for the gospel. And we also began just something that we've done for, for two Sundays now, which is a little time of worship on Sunday afternoons or evenings at five o'clock in English. And again, we're primarily doing that for the, the foreign student population. God has really burdened us to, to reach some of these students. We have a lot of students from India, from West Africa, North Africa, from the Middle East. Many of them speak English. In fact, right where I'm sitting right now, I'm just a couple blocks away from the Medical Institute or Medical University, which primarily has a lot of Indians in it. Who, you know, for a lot of them, English is, is one of their main languages, and they don't speak Russian because the program here is in, is actually in uh, English, the medical, uh, the medical university. So, so we figured the best way to reach them is, is to speak English with them, which thankfully I can do, right? So, so pray, pray for those opportunities uh, if you could. Now, let's move on and let's talk about some of these topics that I brought up. The corn, core, how do you say it? Coronavirus. Uh, really interesting. Well, corona uh, means crown, actually, in Russian. And I, I'm not sure if, if, if that's related to why the virus is called the coronavirus, but it does mean crown in Russian. But the coronavirus has caused a lot of panic. And unfortunately, I think it has caused panic among Christians. So let's talk about how, how should we respond to this? And, and really, when we think about something like coronavirus, I mean, really, I mean, if we just looked at the facts, okay, right now, you know, you're you're at far, 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 far less danger of getting the coronavirus of than of just getting the regular flu. And I, I looked up the stats that in the United States from October, I think from October 1st till mid to late February 2020, uh, there were somewhere between... 18,000 to 46,000 people that died from the regular flu in the United States. Now, I admit the regular flu is not as bad as the coronavirus, but let's try to keep things in perspective here. I think the first thing that we as Christians ought to do, or the first thing we ought to keep in mind, is that as Christians, we should not panic about these things. This is not our place to panic. I mean, is Jesus your Savior or not? Can you not make it through a sickness? If you die from this sickness, will Jesus not save you? I mean, where is our faith in these things? For a Christian, the worst thing that can happen to us is not death, is not sickness. It's none of those things. In fact, if we look at scriptures, we find that oftentimes God actually uses those hardships, those difficulties, those sicknesses, those trials, in order to give us more gospel opportunities 
and in order for our faith to grow stronger. So let's stop panicking about it. Let's remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, where he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And I would add, or coronavirus? No, it's not going to separate you from Christ. In fact, if you are a Christian and you do have faith in Christ, then if you happen to get the coronavirus, it can that experience, that trial can actually bring you closer to Christ. In fact, <laughs> it might even bring you into the presence of Christ. And that's not a bad thing for a Christian, is it? So the first thing I would say is, as Christians, let's not panic. The second thing that I would say is, let's not act in fear. But let's show the world that even in these situations, we can have peace. Look at what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. He said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love. And listen very clear, <laughs> closely, a sound mind. You know, I think that's what ought to typify a believer, that we have a sound mind. We don't jump. We don't startle. We don't run off scared at every little virus that comes along, sickness, panic, whatever it may be. The Christian ought to have a sound mind, a mind that is secure in the knowledge that Christ will take care of it. Or I think it's also helpful to remember the words that Jesus, or sorry, that, that John said, um, no, in the book of John, excuse me, the, the words that, that Jesus said in the book of John, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, don't let your heart be troubled, do not be afraid. You know, the disciples were definitely worried when Jesus left. And it can be the same type of worry that we can have when we think about these viruses and sicknesses and all that kind of a thing. Jesus says, hey, don't. Don't do it. Don't let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. We do have the Holy Spirit. We do have power. God can heal. And if he doesn't, we're going to be with him. It's going to be okay for the believer. So I think that that is probably the first thing, too, that people should see in us that at these times when others are panicking, when others do not have peace, we have peace. And I do remember that when when Mishael had cancer 16 years ago, that that was one of the things that I remember that people notice about us. In fact, I even remember that somebody somebody asked us, oh, how, how can you how can you take this so calmly? Now, don't get me wrong. Of course, we had worries. Of course, we had some anguish in our heart knowing that our child was sick with cancer and he was only you know, a one-year-old child. Uh, of course, there was pain there. There were some worries there. But ultimately, 
I would say that I was even surprised, maybe you could say, by the piece that both Christina and I had at that time. And all I can contribute that to is because God gave it to us, because we look to God. That was a time that pushed us towards God, pushed us towards the reading of the Psalms, to prayer, to dependence upon God, to thankfulness for all that he has done, to simple, basic trust. You want to learn to trust God more? Well, contract the coronavirus and you'll have a good opportunity to learn. Get cancer. You'll have a good opportunity to, to learn. One of your loved ones gets cancer. You'll have a good opportunity to learn to trust God more, to exhibit the peace of God, and God will give you more opportunities to share the gospel. Friends, we, we should not be running around in fear. We need to exhibit the peace of Christ in unpeaceful times, in times when people are clamoring and going to the pharmacies and buying all the masks and all of the hand cleaner. I'm not saying you shouldn't wash your hands. There might be appropriate time to wear a mask, but when people are just going crazy doing all these things, let us be those beacons of peace that people stop for a second and they look and say, wait, why are you so peaceful? And then you can say, hey, let me share with you about the prince of peace who gave me this peace, right? And then the other thing here too is that Christians should have and give hope. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 really gives us a good encouragement here in the way of hope and our physical bodies. Paul says, so we do not lose hope, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Okay, and here is a little secret. You might not be able to see the coronavirus with your eyes, but the coronavirus is a seen thing. That means that it is transient, as it is translated here. That means it is temporary. The coronavirus has no power to either give eternal life or take eternal life. The coronavirus is temporary, as are all things here on this earth. So let's not get in a panic about temporary things. Let's put the worth and value in those things that have eternal ramifications. The state of your soul, the state of the soul of your neighbor, those are the things that have eternal ramifications. Your service to the Lord in the church and outside of the church, what you say 
about Christ to others, those are the things that we should really be putting the emphasis on. And that's why Paul says, listen, our outer self is wasting away. We're going to lose it no matter what we do. I mean, you know, I tried to go to the gym. I went to the gym yesterday, but I know that's all temporary. I just do it so that I can feel a little bit better so I don't get too fat. So I don't disqualify myself from the ministry because of some medical problem. But those things are temporary. And let us give value to the things that are eternal. All right. As I say that, my stomach is growling because it's lunchtime. Okay. But let, let me share with you one other thing. And, and this goes into a little bit of when, when we did our conference in Eugene couple weeks ago and it's very interesting painting about the the um i think it's called the brazen serpent in the book of numbers remember when god sent the serpent um to the serpent sent to the camp camp and and they started biting people and people were dying and god told moses to put up this staff with this brazen what is that what is that copper no bronze that's what it is with the bronze to put this bronze serpent and if you just look at it if you just look at it you will be healed and and you know that was really about faith and we see that that was a picture of Christ later on but this this painting called the brazen serpent you can look it up on google by Anthony Van Dyke in 1620 is when he painted it. He was 20 years old. This is an amazing painting. And you look at it and you see the panic in the people as they are clamoring towards this bronze serpent. As they so desperately want that healing. And some people don't know what to do. Some people are trying to help other people. Some people can hardly make it there. And there is this clamoring. And then yet on the other side, you see Moses and you see Eliezer standing firmly, knowing that they are healed because they have looked at that bronze serpent. And I just thought how that typifies the world today as people are so panicked and scared and not knowing what to do and trying to somehow avoid getting the coronavirus. And yet all they need to do is look to that one, the one person, Jesus Christ. And I think that, you know, friends, in the midst of this kind of panic, we ought to be pointing people to that one place of healing, to Christ. And in a way that this kind of a fear, this kind of a danger, this kind of a panic, it lends itself to the gospel. When we find what people worry and fear about, we find a spot for the gospel. When we find where people might have some pain, we find a spot for the gospel. Because it is, it is in those abscesses of life that we can insert the healing, the healing nature of the gospel and say, listen, here's something that can heal that wound. Here is something that can give you hope. Here is someone, just look at him in faith. He might not heal your physical body, but he will heal your soul and he will give you a new body. 
So I think that as you get into discussions with people about the coronavirus, guide those discussions, guide them towards Christ. If they talk, if they're panicked about it, show them that you're not panicked about it. Show them that you have a greater hope, that you have something that is far beyond the coronavirus, that is more powerful than the coronavirus, that overcomes the coronavirus, and more importantly, overcomes a sinful heart. These are great opportunities for gospel conversations. Don't let them pass by. Don't just allow yourself to talk about the coronavirus and talk about how terrible it is and how scared you are or how scared everyone else is and how the government should do more or whatever. Direct those conversations towards Christ because we can use the coronavirus as an opportunity to share Christ. All right, let's move on and let's talk about this question that I got from Rajesh from Singapore, who writes and says, kindly do clarify whether 1 Corinthians 3 is speaking about leaders. If yes, how do we apply it for believers? How do we understand that they will be saved even though their works are burned in fire? Is he speaking about false teachers or some other category? Okay, well, first of all, okay, let's let's go quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And take a look at what Paul is saying there. And the the first thing, of course, before we even read it, you know, what we know about this passage is that this was something that was written to the whole church. So, So it ought to have an application to the whole church. It was written to the whole church. And the problem, the problem here becomes very clear in the first several verses where, he, where Paul says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you're not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. The problem is these people were not mature. And why were they not mature? Because instead of going to God and to God's word, they were following after people. Oh my goodness, do we not have that problem today? People following after people instead of following after Christ. And so he says in verse 3, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. And so now he goes into detail more into this problem. That's verses 4 and 5, or verses 3, 4, and 5, where he says, here's the problem. You're just saying, you know, okay, I'm a disciple of this person, of that person, and you're forgetting that this is really all about Christ. It is about the Lord, and 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 those who preach to you are just merely his servants, right? And so he goes on and says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And Rajis, I think what Paul is saying here is it's important about how we relate to and think about 
especially about teachers in the body of Christ, that we not put them up on this high, high pedestal and begin to, as I think oftentimes happens in our popular culture, is that we begin to, in a way, worship these, these teachers rather than God. We begin to think that what they say is revelation. We begin to put our hope in them, that they will fix us, that that person will fix us instead of in God. And, of course, naturally, what do we do? We begin to fight with other people who might not follow that person the same way that I follow that person. And it just becomes a huge mess. And, of course, this is a great warning to pastors as well that they should do their ministries in a way that points people to God and not to themselves, that points people to Christ and not to themselves. That, I find, friends, is something I have to remind myself again and again. But it's vital. In fact, I think that that's one of the reasons, possibly, why today there is such a epidemic of burnout amongst pastors because too many pastors feel like I have to do it for my people. What I'm saying is I have to fix my people. I have to perform for my people. I have to meet the expectations of my people. That's a huge stress. But when I set that aside and I realize I'm called to be faithful in the preaching and teaching of God's word, in the loving pastoring of my people, of the people God has given me, but it is God who gives the growth. That takes a huge weight off of my soul. It takes a huge weight off of my mind. It takes a huge weight off of me. I, you can almost say literally physically, you kind of breathe this sigh of relief and, relief and say, Whew, I can do this because God is doing this. So it's so important how we relate to our leaders, how our leaders relate to, to us, that we realize that it is God who's in the middle of this. It is God who is throughout this. It is God who is doing this, and it doesn't depend upon my great skills, thank God. So I think that's the first part of your answer there, <clears throat> is that this applies to leaders and how they lead the church, and it also applies to members of the church and how they relate to the leaders, okay? And... And then, uh, let's see, um, okay, yeah, so then it would go on a little bit further here to verse 10. He says, according to the grace God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which was laid, which is Jesus Christ. So he's, once again, he's saying, let's get back to Jesus. We're laying the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. It's not Paul. It's not Caleb. It's not some famous preacher. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Now, 
Here's the key to what he says. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work he's done. Okay, so let's go back. What is he talking about? What is gold, precious stones, and what is wood, hay, and straw? Gold and precious stones, silver, is Jesus Christ. If we're pointing people to Christ, if we're teaching them about Christ, if we're telling them to trust in Christ, if we're telling them to look to Christ, to walk with Christ, if we're telling them that Christ is the reason for their salvation, if we're telling them that Christ is the hope and their only hope, then we are building a foundation that is built on Christ. And if I leave, that foundation remains in their souls. And that's why it's so important to build correctly. But if I'm building a foundation that's built on programs, that is built on personality, that is built on my character, that is built on my enthusiasm, that is built on myself as someone who can you know, think up interesting events or, or say things in a way that creates some sort of interest, then that is wood, hay, and straw. And when the fire comes, when testing comes, or in the final day of judgment, it will be burned up. It's going to be gone. Because I was not pointing them to Christ. And, you know, we can take this and apply this too personally to each of us. What am I building my own personal life on? Christ? Or on wood, hay, and straw? On my own ambitions and goals and my desire to do whatever. And so he says in verses 14 and 15, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. There's a reward for that faithful servant. God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. There is a reward. But, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so what this tells us is that there are Christians who unfortunately are not really pointing people to Christ. They're saved, but they're saved as only as one who is being saved out of the fire. And I think the picture that this paints for us is probably one of Sodom and Gomorrah where we see that Lot was saved but only us through fire. He had nothing to show for it. Yeah, God saved him. He brought him out of Sodom. But he had nothing. I mean, his house was gone. His wife was gone. All his belongings were gone. He went and lived off in a cave somewhere. He had nothing to show for it. And what a vital question that is for us. What do you have to show for your Christianity? Are you building your own life on the foundation of Christ? And are you pointing others to that foundation? Are you helping others build their life on that foundation? Oh, how we need to do that. How sad it will be in the day for the Christian who is saved. And yeah. He's just like the one who just got the ticket to heaven, but didn't bring anything along. Didn't bring anyone along 
with him. And how glorious and how wonderful it will be for that person who is saved and he has the foundation. He has works and reward because he served Christ. I hope that will be true of me. I hope that will be true of you. But that is something that we ought to be thinking about. So, Rajesh, you asked, is he speaking about false teachers or some other categories? I don't think that he's necessarily speaking exactly about false teachers here, but rather teachers that just don't really present Christ as they should. And I think I've talked about this before, but to me this this would probably represent what I call the how-to sermon. There's a lot of preachers out there that they say they say good things. They say things that are helpful. They're not teaching doctrine that is necessarily off. But they're just not really teaching Christ. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, like they're saying, hey, you know, you should be an honest person. You should be kind. You should be grateful. You should help your child do his homework. You should, you know, they're telling you how you should live. And, and they're telling you right things. But they're just failing to really present it, present Christ. And instead of presenting Christ, they're just kind of presenting their ideas of how to live. And so it's not necessarily an issue of false teaching as it is an issue of, of a, a, a wrong focus. The reason I need to be kind is because Christ was kind to me. The reason I need to be thankful is because Christ saved me. The reason I need to help my child with homework is because God has given me that responsibility. And and that is one way that I can actually develop trust and then point him to Christ. So it all comes back to Christ. All right, I, I hope that answer was helpful for you, Rajesh. And if anyone else found that helpful, let me know. Maybe you have some other commentary on this First Corinthians chapter 3 passage. What a wonderful, really contemporary problem. <laughs> Not a wonderful problem, but a contemporary problem and a wonderful, wonderful fix to that contemporary problem that Paul gives us in First Corinthians 3. But if you have any other questions, friends, I would love to know. You can record a audio clip for me at superfamily.org slash ask or, or write whatever one you want. If you record a clip, I'll put it on the podcast. But I hope those were helpful for you. I hope that you don't get the coronavirus, but whether you get it or not, I do pray, friend, that your hope is firmly placed in Christ and that you can use all all hardships and all blessings in your life to share the gospel. Friends, until next time, be blessed and may the gospel be real in your life today.